January 8th, 2024, we're in Masechet Bava Kama and Daf Yod Aleph Amud Aleph, nine lines from the bottom, just the second word on the line where it says, Ve'amar Ula. And if you recall, the Gemara is only continuing with this passage, these next several statements, both in the name of Ula, who in turn is citing from Rabbi Azar, because that was the name that was mentioned earlier in a sugya, in an issue that was relevant to our conversations in Bava Kama means to say that this issue has nothing to do with damages, no bearing on Hilchot Nezikin, anything to do with Masech Bavakama. But here's the same in Ve'amar Ula, Amar Bil'azar, Shilya Shiyaseta Miksata Biyom Rishon, Miksata Biyom Sheni, Monin La Min HaRishon. Again, if you recall, a Shilya is a placenta, and the situation is as such that a woman, Lo Alenu, has a circumstance where she... Uh, isn't able to keep the baby inside, and as a result, what comes out on day one in the scheme of what we're counting is a partial uh, uh, or a portion of the shilya of the placenta, and on day two is the, the rest of the placenta. Now, the general understanding is, and we'll understand that in this sugya, is that when a placenta comes out of a woman, even though you don't see the form of a baby, our assumption is, halakhically speaking, that is partially the baby that was. And as a result, in this situation, we're seeing this as a miscarriage with regards to this woman. Uh, but there are specific halachot with regards to a birth and in turn miscarriage, the same idea. Anytime a baby comes forth from a woman, uh, there's halachot that the Torah dictates in Sefer Vayikram Parashat Tazriya, and it goes as follows. If a woman gives birth to a baby girl, there are 14 days of tum'ah, 14 days, irrespective of whether she saw blood or not, in which Kodesh lo tigash is not allowed to touch anything that is kadosh. Ve'la mikdash lo tavo, she has a full-fledged status of temea, she can't enter into the mikdash, she can't touch anything that has a status of sanctity and holiness. Uh, if it's a male who she gives birth to, it's seven days, uh, seven days of tum'ah. So again, a female, 14 days of Tumah, and a male, seven days of Tumah. Again, irrespective of whether she actually saw blood or not, the fact that the baby was born, in our situation that the placenta came forth, that's going to be the status. Uh, beyond those days, the seven or 14, the Torah says there's then days of Tahorah, there's then days of purity. And each one of those numbers is similar to the first one. For the male, it's 33 days of Tahorah, which means to say the woman over the course of those next 33 days, irrespective again of whether blood comes out or not, has the status of Tehorah. And for the female birth, it's going to be 66 days. Those are the halachot described by the Torah. Again, the Gemara in Nidan, two places, explains why we don't follow this today. But <clears throat> that being the case, Here's the situation. A placenta of a woman comes out partially on day one and then partially on day two, in terms of our count of these matters. Well, what's the halakha? Leave day one and day two aside for a moment. We first and foremost have to realize there's no form and structure of the baby when the placenta comes out. So even though I'm imagining and understanding that the baby's coming out, is that a male? or a female baby that came out, a boy or a girl. Of course, it's neither in the scheme of things, but we have to, we have to determine, we have to treat it as one of the two. And the halakha is we go lehumrah on both. We go stringently on both. What do I mean by that? We're going to count 14 days of tum'ah, <coughs> and then only allow for 33 days of tahorah. 
Now, the days of Tahorah, of course, would start after the first seven days of Tumah. If it was a male, it's seven, and then you're counting 33 to get up to day 40. But now that we're counting the first 14 days as Tumah, it means after the first seven, the days of Tahorah set in, and starting on day eight, she's now in days of Tahorah, but not really, because the first seven overlap with the 14. So it's as a result, you're going to have a 33 minus 7, that's only 26 days of Tahorah. So one more time. What's going to emerge in this case? Don't for a moment pay attention to the partial and partial. A placenta comes forth from a woman, the halakha will be <coughs> 14 days of Tumah, 26 days of Tahorah, the mechanics we just described. Not going to be our real issue over here because our issue is with regards to when those counts begin. Do we count starting on day one or count starting on day two? Well, what's day one and day two? Back to our specific case, the placenta came out partially on day one and partially then on day two. Do I begin counting 14 days of Tumah on day one? which means I'll be a day earlier in terms of arriving at the days of Tahorah? Or do I alternatively start only the next day and day one, anything that she touches will be Tahor. She does not Tameh yet. Well, there's a Humrah and a Kula on both ends. But here, says the Gemara. Well, it could be day one, it could be day two. So if it's day one, don't forget, then I finish my count earlier. But I start my count earlier as well. So maybe I have a humrah. The Gemara will in a moment tell us you have a humrah both ways. You have a stringency both ways. I'm not weighing in on philosophy right now. Of course there's explanation. Says uh, another time. Ve'amar ula. Gave me something to talk about parashat tazriya. Ve'amar ula. Marabil azar. Shilia. Again, nine lines from the bottom. Shiyasetam miksata. Miksata means a part of it. So a part of the shilia, meaning placenta, comes out biyom rishon, on day one. We could call it Sunday for our purposes. Umiksata, and then the other part of it comes out biyom sheni, comes out on Monday. When do we start the count? Monin la miyom rishon. We begin counting from day one, meaning from Sunday. It makes sense, but not really, because you started now the count earlier, which means day one was more stringent. But you're going to end the count earlier as well. You should only start, that's a great question. It's a great question. So the, he said, shouldn't you start the moment you saw the placenta? You're calling it a sack? That's what Art School calls it? Interesting. Um, generally speaking, we refer to Shilia's placenta. I mean, Haram Bam says it's the sack that she's a part of. What's that? Amniotic sac. Okay, good. Uh, so we'll start calling it the sac. Um, but, but the answer is, no, no, Ila is very important, is only when the majority of the baby comes out. And I don't know when the majority came out over here because I don't see any baby, unfortunately. I just see amniotic fluids and sacs and things of that sort. So I don't really know. So as a result, it could be day one could say it's only day two. Once the whole thing came out, now I'm certain the majority of the baby came out, or the whole baby came out. On day one, I'm not certain about that, so the count, technically speaking, wouldn't need to begin. As a result, I can't have the leniency of starting a day earlier, because maybe uh, the, the whole thing or the majority of it came out the next day. That's what the Gemara really is, is struggling with this point. So again, the statement is, statement is you start from day one, assuming it appears, 
that the majority of the baby uh, has exited the woman on day one. Amar le Rava, Rava challenges this, and he says, Mada'atach. It says to Ula in the name of Rabbi Azar, says, what, what was your thinking over here? I want to understand why you determined we're starting from Sunday in the count. Lechumra was your reasoning because you thought we needed to be stringent? And that's what it sounds like. You're saying day one, even though I'm not certain, you're right, I saw some of the sack, but I didn't see the entirety on day one. Uh, but you're going to go to Humrah, you're going to assume that that was the majority of the baby on that, way, that day. I have to tell you, that's going to, going to emerge as a Humrah de Ateli de Kula. That's going to be a stringency which is emerging, which uh, leads up to a, uh, a leniency. Because now your count begins a day earlier as well. It's true your count in terms of her being tameh started a day earlier, but it means as a result the 14 days ends a day earlier as well, because you counted 14 days from day one. And I have a safik over here, I have an uncertainty, Eli, right? My uncertainty is whether actually the majority of the baby emerged on day one or on day two. As a result, says Rava, I'll tell you, Ela Amarava. In what respect? What are my two suffixes over here? No, not going to be enough of a suffix. It's not a suffix if they cut because they're not addressing the same issue. Once. I understand, but ultimately, in other words, you go. You could be mahmir on both without it being self-contradictory. If this is what Rashi points out, if I'm misupa, if I have a safik, whether. Anything, in other words, whether anything comes out with the shilya. In other words, maybe day one was nothing. I saw a sack, but I don't know that any baby was a part of it. Oh, so then I have a real suffix, if it got, then I have maybe nothing. But over here, you're going, if you're certain something came out. You're certain you have to start the count, misafik, uh, from day one. That's, that's the way Rashi, I mean, Karida inside articulates this. Ela amarava lahush hosheshet. Mimna la mimna ela la sheni. Says Ravar, instead, he's adjusting the words of Rabil Azar and Ula. It goes like this Lahush, in order to suspect and to fear that there was the birth of a partial, not birth, a, uh, a, um, a miscarriage of a partial baby on day one, or the majority of the baby on day one. Hosheshit. You have to be Hoshesh, you have to be suspicious of that, and as a result, start the count from day one. But you're not really starting the count from day one. You're being hoshesh that she's tameh from day one. But mimna to start the count, la mimna ela la sheni, you only start that on day two. That's uh, what we've arrived at until now, which means to say it's really going to be 15 days because you started day one, but it didn't count as part of that initial counting of 14 days, and you started the count from day two. That's what we arrived at in the Gemara thus far. Says the Gemara, but wait a second, my kamashma'lan. It's going to, you're going to have a, a one last day. You're going to start on the same day, on day eight, but your first eight days are going to be swallowed, so you're only going to have 25 days as a result. Says the Gemara, but 
It was all very nice, and for me and you, it's novel and it's new because we didn't know these halachot, we weren't familiar with any of this beforehand. But if you were, then technically speaking, we didn't really say anything novel. What's the hidush in this? I mean, what did you tell me that I couldn't have and wouldn't have known if I didn't know the general laws of these matters and the biology? Is the hidush that as we articulate, as we spoke out with, with Eli a few moments ago, that you're going to and must assume that on day one, a partial placenta sac comes out, that means there has to be, quote, baby in it. In other words, that's the assumption over here. The assumption is, the reason I have a safik, I have a doubt to start counting or to consider day one to be tamim, is because I say, en valad. I say that you, even though the whole thing hasn't come out, I have to assume that a, a portion of the baby, and maybe even the majority of the baby, has come out on day one. That must be the novelty. In other words, after all, if I know the laws that I do a count, and I know the laws that I have to count, I read the Pesukim in the Torah from the birth of a baby girl or a baby boy, and I know that a baby boy or a baby girl came out, I just don't know which one it is. So everything we just spoke out is, is quite simple. Of course, you're going to start from day one, you're uncertain, you're going to add on an extra day to count. All that's going to be simple. The only hidush over here could be, the only thing we wouldn't have known by reading the Pesukim in the Torah is that even though it was a partial placenta, amniotic uh, sac, nonetheless, we have to assume that the baby was in there. That's the only thing I wouldn't have known if I hadn't read this statement in the Gemara, right? In other words, the fact that... Uh, let's make up a case where the whole placenta came out, the whole amniotic sac, amniotic sac came out. In such a circumstance, what would the halakha be? Everything we just stated in the Gemara, had I given you the background based on the Torah's information, we would have been somewhat clear about how to treat it. We would have put on our halakha lenses, maybe not our medical lenses, but our halakha lenses, and we would have determined that. The only hidush over here, the only thing that seems to be novel, is the fact that a partial amount came out on day one, a partial amount on day two and we don't determine and say that since it was only partial on day one well maybe that wasn't the baby in there says the Gemara well that we also already knew Tanina we have explicitly a Beraita which taught us this the Beraita says the following Shilia Shiaseta Miksata if a partial amount of the amniotic sac the placenta of an animal comes out Asura be'achila, the halakha in such a circumstance is whatever remains in the mother is asur be'achila. Well, what are we referring to? What we're referring to is the following. It's an animal which has a baby inside. Now, generally speaking, if you sla slaughter an animal with the baby inside, the baby is permitted for consumption as well. The fact over here that part of the shilia came out already, so I see the animal, I wake up in the morning and I see the baby, you know, there's no baby, but there's, there's a shilia that came out. What happened? I'm grossing out? I'm sorry. It's good you're not eating, right? I see that the partial shilia, we're almost done with it. Partial shilia came out, and now I slaughter the animal. I can't eat from that baby inside because my assumption is the baby already came out. Well, that being the case, even though only partially the shilya emanated came forth from the from the mother, it's already asura ba'achila. Clearly, why not? 
Why, why would we imagine that biological, I mean, maybe we would, but over here we're not, we're not and it's going to say it explicitly in a moment, we're imagining that biologically the shilya, which comes out partially, is identical in animals and in humans. Well, that being the case, then Allah didn't teach us anything, indeed. Tanina shilya shiyaseta miksata asura ba'achila siman valad ba'isha siman valad bebehema. Explicitly in the words of the Beraitai, it says... That's the sign of a baby. Even partial shilya, it's a hard thing to wrap your head around. By animals, it's gross. By human beings, it's sad. But what we're dealing with in such a circumstance is a miscarriage of the mother, either animal or human being, uh, when even a partial amount of the shilya came out. So the question of the Gemara in turn is, as much as we were racking our brains trying to get this straight, ironically, the Gemara's question on Ula is, you didn't teach us anything. We knew that already. Says the Gemara, Imi matnitin, had you just taught it to me from that beraita, hava amina, I would have thought to say, the yesh miksat shilya belovalad. I would have said, no, uh, generally speaking, I can and perhaps should assume, it's okay for me to assume that when you have a partial shilya which comes out, there might not be a baby. Well, there might not be a baby. Again, Ola taught us it's not so by the mother that the count starts and the tumah begins on day one and the count starts on day two. That, that we know. How would you not derive that from over here? You would have said, as Abi said a moment ago, maybe this was a halakha specifically by animals. Why is it a halakha specifically by animals? Ugzera miksata atukula. And the only reason by the animal where we saw a partial shilya which came out and we said, well, that animal, the baby, which is internal, is forbidden for consumption because we can't say that the slaughtering of the mother affects the baby is because a gezerah. What's the gezerah? It's an enactment of the rabbis. If we're permitting in this situation, you might say when the whole babe, the whole shilya, the whole placenta came out, or the whole amniotic sac came out, that I'll permit as well over there the baby for consumption without slaughtering it. It's all a gezerah. It's all an enactment of the rabbis in the context of the animal and the food which comes out. By a woman, by a mother, there's no gezerah in place. What's the gezerah? The gezerah with regards to the animal is a fear that a person will deduce. Well, really, a partial shilya doesn't count and isn't considered the whole baby or even the majority of the baby. But you're going to make the mistake, and next time you're going to eat, even when the whole shilya comes out. With a mother, there's no gezerah, thankfully. We're still... We're never eating babies, and we're not eating babies and not slaughtering mothers when it comes to uh, uh, human beings. Kamash and that in turn is the Hidush of Ula, that we apply this law to human beings as well, because in Miksat Shilya, Belovalat, we do not and should not assume that even a partial amount of the Shilya doesn't come with the loss of or the uh, coming out of the baby as well. All right, that's been our sugya. I'm sorry that it uh, made us a little uh, bit uh, nauseous. So no. no. Doesn't make a difference. The fact that the shilya comes out, we understand that as a miscarriage. First you said we follow day two, and then at the end you said day one? We're following both. We're saying day one is tameh. However, the count starts from day two. So we get the... You got the worst of both worlds. Okay. What's that? What's, what are you asking specifically? In terms of the count? 
Yeah. You're just going to have the higher one. Yeah, the higher on both. Yeah, I mean, in other words, they both came out. You're going to have the higher on both. All right, says the Gemara onward. Now that we're done with that, we'll be back. No, not back to Nizikin just yet. But we're back to Ula in the name of Bil'Azar and not talking about uh, Shiliyaz. Ve'amar Ula, Amar Bil'Azar, Bechor Shenitraf. Uh, it's not getting so much better, but it's getting a little bit. I mean, it's not uh, miscarriages. It's just babies who are getting killed at this time. Ibechor, a firstborn boy. Of course, uh, we'll be reading about it in just uh, two weeks' time. Uh, the Torah describes how there's a mitzvah of Pidyon HaBen. Pidyon HaBen, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, saved the firstborns of Am Yisrael while killing the firstborns of the Egyptians. And as a result, we have a mitzvah, we have an obligation. If you're not from a family of Kohen or Levi and it's your firstborn child, it's Peterechem, uh, it's the first to breach the mother's uh, womb. In such a circumstance, you have to, and many, if not all of us, are very familiar with the process, the mitzvah of Pidyon Haben, the five coins, which redeem that baby from the Kohen, from HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kivyachol. Well, that being the case, the halacha is it's only done when the baby is past 30 days. If the baby, this explicit pasuk in the Torah, which we'll read in a moment, past 30 days, where we assume it's no longer what's called a nefil, it's a baby that's going to live, the fact, or, or it's already living, so to speak, that's when you do it. What happened if the, uh, the Bechor, this uh, firstborn baby, didn't die naturally within those first 30 days, but was killed in an unnatural way? Someone comes along and, I don't know, mishandles the baby or kills the baby. Do you nonetheless have an obligation to do the Pidyon Habin? In other words, the reason that the Torah says from 30 days and onward, our understanding is, to, is to determine that this baby uh, could live. And as a result, Kivyachol, God gave you a living baby, and as a result, you therefore need to do a Pidyon Habin. God gave you a living baby. You, someone else, Lo Aleinu killed that baby. As a result, maybe you still need to do Pidyon Habin. That's the question over here. It's true the baby's not alive, but the responsibility might still be on you. It was in 30 days, but it wasn't a present which was given to you from Borei Olam that wasn't a real present, so to speak. It's a present that he's giving you that could have lived a long life. It was Nitraf, it got killed. What's the halakha? Still in Podin Oto. You don't do a Pidyon Haben. V'chen, and so too, Tane Rame Barhama, Rabbein Barhama has this from a Beraita. Mitok Emar, from the fact that the Pasuk says, Pado Tifte, it's a double language, it repeats the word, the Shoresh of Pidyon. Now, generally speaking, when the Torah repeats a word or repeats the root of the word, it's coming to be Marbe, it's coming to tell you other cases. The fact that the Torah tells you, Uftu Yav, the Pasuk tells you that from 30 days and above, you need to in a circumstance that you have a firstborn baby maybe that's coming to tell me maybe even if the baby was killed within 30 days don't think you're off the hook this was my present to you you messed it up someone else messed it up it was mishandled I feel terrible for you but you still need to do the pidyon God says to you that's what the derasha and the pasuk tells us ach Generally speaking, we have, we have different principles with regards to reading Pesukim. On the one hand, if there's a double wording, it comes to include something. If you have the word ach or rak, however, or just, ach verak is lemaet. It's 
coming to exclude. So on the one hand, the Pasuk says, maybe that's including even the 30-day baby prior to the 30 days, but it died in an unnatural cause, in an unnatural way. No, that's what ach only comes to tell you not that case. The baby that was. The baby that was. If it naturally dies within 30 days, then the Torah tells you you don't need it. The Torah says the Pidyon is only from 30 days and onward. You would have thought to say that over here you're redeeming, so to speak, you're paying God, you're, you're saying what would have been forbidden. We always say that the baby's for. So it wouldn't have been forbidden, but it'd be my responsibility. It's my responsibility. I, I gave you something and it got lost. You still need to pay me for it. Uh, you bought the item from me. I gave you it, as a, I gave you it with the condition that you're going to pay me back for it. So you'd have to pay for that. That's, that. That would have been... And in fact, you have to argue in the conclusion, even though the Gemara doesn't say it explicitly, Nimukei Yosef does, we had a ribuy and we had a mi'ut. Translate those words. We had an... Inclusion in the Pesukim, Pado Tifteh, telling you extra cases, not just the one that's listed in the Torah. And then yet, ah, no, 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 not all extra cases. So we still have some extra case that's here. There's got to be some funny case. What's the case? So the case that's suggested, Nimuke Yosef quotes, says this. He says, what if it's a child which is a gosis? Which means to say the child is on its deathbed, but it's at 30 days. It's going to die. Or it's Yose Lamut. I don't know exactly what they're, they're taking it out to war. I don't know exactly the case. But in any of those cases, the child's alive, but it's not going to live. We're certain not going to live long. Maybe the government is, I don't know, whatever, something crazy, whatever. In those situations, you have to do a pidyon haben. I know you'll say those are easier for you to wrap your head around. There's still a baby, but the baby's on its way to death. Nonetheless, you don't know what's going to be there. All right. So, ah, so that's the ah. So you like the derasha, or you thought it was simple to begin with? All right, that's that's what we have. Rashi bechor shenitraf bechor adam sheneherag. It was killed betok shelashim yom. En podinoto en sarich liftodo liftoto vimet meatzmo says Rashi. If it died on its own, la isarich lan lemema. We don't need a pasuk. That's what I'm calling natural causes. The haketiv. After all, the pasuk says, "Uftu yav mi ben chodesh tifted." Pasuk says explicitly, "When do you do the pidyon? Mi ben chodesh. That's thirty days." Aval hashda. But now, istarich la ashmoinan. It needed to teach us. It needed to teach us. The Torah did. Ila iktil hava hai. Had it not been murdered or killed, this baby, it would have lived. Velo nefil, and it's not considered what's called a nefil, meaning a natural dying within 30 days. Hava, it would be considered and you'd have to do a pidyon haben. All right, continues the Gemara, yet more cases from this rabbi Ula in the name of Rabbi Azar. Ve amar Ula, amar Rabbi Azar, again, having nothing one to do with the other, other than, well, now that we're quoting from our rabbis, the Ula in the name of Rabbi Azar, let me tell you many things that he taught us, taught us a lot of things all over Talmud. Behema gasa. Behemah gasa literally means a fat animal. We generally speaking distinguish between behemah gasa and behemah daka. Behemah gasa is like a shore or an, uh, it's like an ox or a, a para or a cow. 
Behemadaka is like a goat or something along an ez or something along those. So we have different types. And as a result, in terms of acquiring, in terms of purchasing, there are different ways of purchasing animals and items. And uh, the Mishnayot and Masechet Kiddushin and the cafe deal with the specifics of how do you purchase, how do you do the acquisition in any and every situation, including Behemagasa. What's the halakha? He says, Bemeshicha. Meshicha means pulling it. You pull the animal from the uh, property of the seller uh, off. That's called Kinyan Meshicha. So he says that the way that you purchase, the way you do the act of acquisition with regards to a behemah gasa, you want to buy a cow, is you have to pull it off the person's uh, property. Uh, says the Gemara, didn't we learn in the Mishnah, there in Masechet Kiddushin on Dafkafe, Bemesira. Bemesira means that you, according to Rashi, you actually hand it over to the individual. He doesn't need to pull it off. He doesn't need to get it off of your property. You just hand it over. According to Tosafot in Kiddushin, it just means you tell him, you tell him, go, go, take, go take hold of it. That's chalas, that's sufficient. But wait a second. There are really two ways of reading this Gemara, but uh, we'll take Rashi and Kiddushin's approach to it. He says, well, I thought the only way to acquire it was b'meshicha, was by pulling it. Now the Mishnah is telling me that the only way is b'mesira, is by handing it over. The other way uh, to learn this is, you told me it's b'meshicha, the Mishnah tells me it's also b'mesira. All right, either way you slice it, it's Rashi, it's a contradiction in Rashi. What's that? They're both kinyanim. These are kinyanim. That's, that's, I'm using the word acquisition. You saw rabbinic, huh? You're pulling it. Yeah. It's all kinyanim. So, mesirah, meshichar, kinyanim. So, either way you have it, it's a, it seems to be a contradiction. Either the Mishnah is saying you can also do a b'mesirah, or the Mishnah is telling you specifically b'mesirah. Why would it be specifically and only b'mesirah, not with pulling? Rashi and Kiddushin and says that maybe it's not a normal way. When you're dealing with a large animal like that, you don't really pull it. You don't really pull oxen. You, you hand over the oxen. You say, that's my acquisition. Either way, it goes, says the Gemara, Hudamar Bil'azar would go like Kihat Haita like the hachamim uh, in the following beraita detanya the hachamim onim zovezo bemeshicha the hachamim in the beraita say zovezo reference to behemadaka and behemagasa whether the quote skinny animal or quote fat animal what's the halacha you could do it bemeshicha of course those are words of ula and the name bilazar that a kinya that a behemagasa is niknet bemeshicha Rabbi Shimon Omer this is a alternative opinion here in the beraita zovezo behadbah can you imagine? You do them both by lifting them. How do you lift an ox? How do you lift a uh, cow? Rashi quotes from the Gemara and Kiddushin. It says that you put vines underneath. And by it stepping onto those vines, that's your Kinyan Meshicha. All right, that was our, what, third halacha? Fourth halacha, Bil'azar uh, from Ula. Next, Ve'amar Ula. Amar Bil'azar. Let's uh, address one last one. Ha'achin shehaleku. Maybe shehaleku. If you have brothers who are dividing the inheritance of their father, uh, right? We've talked about these sorts of cases earlier in the Masechet, but over here, The clothing that they're wearing, in other words, they go to do the division. Now, they haven't done the formal division in court or even outside of court yet. They showed up at dad's property, after his death, and, uh, you know, I've always wanted that tie of his. I'm going to put that tie on. It looks kind of nice on me, right? And uh, you wanted that shirt, and uh, she wanted and so on and so forth, and they walk out wearing that clothing, and they, everybody's okay with that. 
And then they say, okay, let's do the formal division. The clothing that they're wearing from their father's estate, does that, does that go into the division? Do we have to now appraise the uh, Armani tie and the Hermes, uh, I don't know, I don't know about the shirt or something like that. I don't know if they make, uh, I'm doing my best, Versace glasses, uh, whatever. Yeah, I have to do that now. So the halakha is mashi'alehen shamin. Yeah, that which they're wearing goes into now, you, you determine that. After all, we want to do an equal division. However, mashi'al benehenu b'notehen in shamin. What their children are already wearing, they have grown children, I'm imagining uh, males, I'm imagining it's all male clothing, uh, they're wearing clothing in shamin. Why don't you need to evaluate that? Lucky you, you bring your whole family, a big family, bring them all in, dress them up and walk out. You're doing great inside, says Rashi. Rashi imagines that we're addressing the women as well. Okay, so to since it's not the normal way for children to be in courts, we don't necessitate that they come into court now for the division and the appraisal. Okay, whatever they're wearing, they're wearing. What do you mean? They're stolen. Tosafot says, and as a result, they were mohel. I imagine so. That's anything that's on them. I imagine even jewelry. Tosafot says as a result there's a mehila, there's an unspoken, whatever your children put on. It's okay. We're not, we're not making the children come into court. That's not the type of family we are. No families like that, the Gemara says. As a result, again, what you're wearing, we asked the court evaluator to determine that. But what's on their children, not Amaraf Papa. Raf Papa just adds on a little bit. He says, Af sometimes even that which they're wearing. You don't need to evaluate, you don't need to appraise. Why not? What do you mean? You you took his Versace tie. It's not fair. Why? Why would we sometimes assume that all the brothers were mohel? They said, no, that's okay. What he's wearing is okay, you don't need to put that. Mishka hatla, you'll find that begadol aheh, but the oldest, doesn't need to be the oldest, we'll define in a moment, but let's for a moment say the oldest of the brothers, because they're all comfortable with him wearing it, that his words be heard, says Rashi, says Rashi, generally speaking, once upon a time, it was the oldest of the brothers, it's the oldest of the brothers who, after the father passes away, is involved in the business to the extent that he's the executor. That's right. So he's going to deal with handling these items, getting the best price for them, etc. The ad hashta until now, when they're actually in court, they're all happy. Sure, where? Wear the best of dad's clothing. You're getting us the best deals. You're bringing in a lot of money for us. As a result, b'malbushim naim. So that his words will be listened to. In other words, the better you dress, I'm, I think this is all pre-COVID, the better you dress, the better you're able to sell. That's, that's what I'm convinced. My grandfather, if he saw the way we dress today, he'd go crazy. You can't sell anything like that. Anyway, the understanding is that the better he dresses, the easier it's going to be sold. As a result, the brothers, they're not going to make him pay. We wanted you dressed. You made us money by wearing that. And therefore, Rav Papa's addition is not only the children that are wearing the clothing of the father's estate, but even the Gadol Shabachim, which I said, doesn't need to be the oldest. It needs to be the brother who's most involved in the Masao Matan, the give and take with regards to the items. And Anything they're wearing as well, we assume there's a mechila, they forgave him and they assume that it's okay for him to be wearing it because in the scheme of things, he's making them money from that. Baruch Adonai Amen, amen.